Welcome to the Hoops Handbook Podcast. We are excited to be doing something a little different, a series with some of the nation's best college coaches. We are calling it the NAIA Coaches Roundtable, and first up, we are fortunate to have Alex Ireland, head coach at Dalton State, with us on the podcast. Coach, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? Doing great. Well, Coach, we appreciate you being a part of this, and you had a very successful year coaching the Dalton State Roadrunners. You won the Southern States Athletic Conference Championship game, rated number one in the SSAC in the final week, and finished number four in the nation with a 30-win season in the final poll. Unfortunately, that run came to an end in a frustrating way with COVID-19 canceling the postseason. Kind of ended a promising season for y'all. Yeah, it did. It was a very unprecedented thing that you can't quite plan for and so it it took us by surprise as I think it did the rest of the nation and it's a tragic thing it's it's a way that you hate to end your season Um, absolutely you know we were we were very excited obviously we had a a good year and we were you know really enjoying playing together we were really excited to have the opportunity to go to Kansas City and compete against some of the best teams in the nation and see where we stack up and obviously we don't get that opportunity you know very understandable why but doesn't make it any easier to take right for sure and i'm sure that was very tough for y'all seniors especially yeah yeah we have we have four seniors this year that actually were all four starters and played really really significant minutes and were great great young men and really enjoyed the opportunity to just compete with them and coach them and just be with them you know and i think that's the hardest part about it is that uh we won't get to go to practice anymore you know, we used to, I used to love going to practice and seeing right. the guys and coaching them and just being with them. I used to love being in the hotels and on the buses and in restaurants with them. And it was just such a fun ride, and they were just such a fun group to be around, not just the seniors, but obviously the seniors are part of that. And, and for it to end so abruptly um, is, is tough to take. You know, it's tough. It's tough to – well, you understand why. You certainly understand why, but it doesn't make it any easier to live with that We've right. been to our last practice. We've been to our last team meal. We've been on the bus for the last time. And uh, we, we don't get to go into battle anymore. We don't get to go compete anymore. Right, absolutely. And, I mean, even not coming out with the championship in the end, every team kind of knows where the journey ends and where the road ends. And it's it's almost even tougher, you know, not getting that closure and, you know, having that road ahead that is untraveled. So that's it. Really, is a shame. I know that's tough. Yeah, it's very, very tough. It uh, it really is. Uh, this group was so fun to be with, and it was so fun to go compete with, and just uh, just lay it all on the line for each other and see where we stack up. And we were really looking forward to the opportunity to do that um, in Kansas City against some of the best teams in the nation. It, it hurts that we won't be able to. Well, I'd like to backtrack a little off of that and um, kind of. Talk about your journey in particular and how you ended up where you are right now. You were the interim head coach at Dalton State in 2018. Is that correct? Yes, I was. And then from there, you kind of took the reins as the head coach and have had a very successful season. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, how you ended up at Dalton State and where you are now? Sure. I uh, I went to, actually went to Kennesaw State as an undergrad. Uh, where Coach Engel, Coach Tony Engel, who was the head coach at Dalton State before me, right. was the head coach, and knew I wanted to get into coaching, and knew I didn't have much of a future in playing beyond you know the immediate future, and uh, went up to coach, told him I wanted to be a coach, and I wanted to learn, and wanted to be a part of the program, and I do whatever it took, and so I started working as a student assistant. I spent five years at Kennesaw working as a student assistant, 
and kind of gradually saw my role increase as I was able to spend more time around the team and start traveling and doing other things like that. And then Mm -hmm. when I graduated, I I spent a year at North Cobb Christian School in Kennesaw, which is no more than five miles away from KSU's campus, for Greg Mata, who was an assistant on that staff uh, while I was at Kennesaw. Spent a year working for him. Knew I wanted to get into college, so I pursued some college opportunities and was able to go down to Valdosta State. Spent two years at Valdosta State as a, as a grad assistant working for Coach Mike Helfer, who has actually won the GSC four years in a row now. Learned a ton from him. And uh, when I graduated from grad school, I was hired at Alcorn State University by Montez Robinson, who uh, had just taken over that program. He actually got the job about two weeks before I graduated from grad school. And he brought me on as an assistant and gave me the opportunity to learn as a Division One assistant at a very, very young age, which I'm very grateful for. We were able to turn that program around. We took over an Alcorn State program that had won six games the year before, went 15-15, and 15, went 13-5 and five in the SWAC, finished second place, and had a lot of success there early. And then was able to go to University of Tennessee Martin, work for Anthony Stewart for a year, and we finished second in the OVC as well in that year. That year, actually, we finished first in the West because the OVC is in divisions and uh, made it to the OVC championship game. And then... Coach Ingle, who had been here for a couple of years at that point, gave me a call and said he had an opportunity. His, his assistant coach was leaving, and he was looking for a new assistant, and I was kind of looking to get closer back to home. So I came here to work for Coach and yeah. uh, worked for Coach Ingle for a year as the assistant coach. And he ended up retiring in July of that year. So we, I went through my, my first and only season here as the assistant. Coach Ingle retired late in July. And I was given the opportunity to serve as the interim head coach here for the 18-19 season and then was fortunate enough to have the interim tag removed at the end of the season. That's awesome. And then from there, y'all have just taken off this year. Can you kind of speak a little more on, you know, career paths in college basketball? There's there's so many different ways and, you know, how everybody's journey is different. Sure. As as Coach Ingle would always tell me, there's, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you... I've seen guys become coaches as players. I've seen guys because become coaches as student managers. I've seen guys from other industries get into coaching that were former players that have been out or whatever the case may be. I think the one thing that's consistent across the board, no matter what your path is, is just having a great work ethic and being loyal, kind of really being willing to uh, make sacrifices. You know, this is this is a business in coaching that, is almost unlike any other in that you have mm-hmm. people that are begging to work for free or for $5,000 a year or for a stipend or for just money to eat in the cafeteria. I mean, people are yeah. just, people just clamor to be in college basketball and intercollegiate athletics. And so it's, it's an industry where unfortunately it's so competitive that if you want to be in it, you have to make sacrifices, you know, definitely for me, for me because I didn't have that, that, pedigree as a player where I had you know a famous head coach making a call for me or whatever I was an 18 year old kid that showed up at coach Ingle's store and said hey I want to learn I want to learn how to coach you know what can I do yeah um, you know for me it meant doing laundry three or four nights a week it meant taking 10 bucks and going down to Walmart and buying a kid a birthday cake yeah um, it meant doing mail outs you know I remember one night I went to I went to a high school football game and I put flyers on 500 cars you know, just the little things that aren't extremely hard and, and monumental tasks, but they they require effort and they require sacrifice. You know, and I, I can remember 
my buddies in college going out and having fun. I couldn't go because I had practice the next morning or I had yeah. film to watch or I had laundry to do or I had, you know, I, I had something to do. But the one thing that I think served me well is I got a reputation very early for being a guy that was a worker and a guy that was going to get the job done that you didn't have to ask three or four times to do or you didn't have to check up on me. If you gave me a job, I got it done. I think that served me well because on that, you know, on that staff that I was a student assistant for, all four coaches, the three assistants and the head coach ended up hiring me for different positions later on. And yeah, so, you know, I, I would say no matter what your path is, how you get in to coaching, I think the most important thing is that you work hard and, and you work for the right cause. You don't work for yourself. You don't work for recognition. You work to make the team better because everybody wants to hire people out of successful programs. Absolutely. And everybody, and, and everybody wants to hire people who realize it's not about them. It's about the team. You know, it's about yeah. the program. It's about the kids. It's about what's best for the unit and the group and not just for one individual person. And so I think there's so many different ways to get in. There's so many different paths. But when you are given that opportunity, you have to work and you have to work and work and work and work until you get it right. And that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It seems young coaches, everybody wants to get in and they want to be the one holding the clipboard in the middle of the game. But you know, there's not a, a journey to the top that you take, but there's definitely a, a blueprint for how to get there on an individual basis. And that is working hard every single day and developing that trust with coaches below you and ahead of you. Absolutely. Can you kind of speak more into NAIA basketball? You know, since this is a NAIA coaches roundtable and we're talking to all of y'all, sometimes NAIA doesn't get as much attention, you know, or exposure as NCAA basketball. Can you kind of speak to the competition level and value of NAIA basketball? Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been at almost every level. I've been a high school coach. I've been a Division One assistant. I've been a Division Two assistant. Now I've been an NAIA assistant and head coach. And I think the thing that people who know basketball know is that there's a lot of talent at every level. And it's not right. easy to win games at any level. You know, I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, this is high school or this is JUCO or this is NAI or this is Division Two. This will be easy. It's not as hard as Division One. And, and that's just not the case. And that's, you know, evidenced by some of the NAI teams in the past couple of years that have beaten Division One teams. Uh, I know Washington and Venice have done it this year. And I know I'm going to miss some, but William Carey beat Southern Miss last year. You know, it happens every single year. And it also happens with Division Two teams. You know, For sure. two yeah. teams beat Division One teams all the time. And, you know, just to kind of give you an example, I think maybe two years ago, we, we really kind of went on a campaign to play a Division One team. And I think we sent out 144 emails trying to schedule a Division One team and, and, and not one of them was returned. Man. And so people just don't quite get the talent level. And that's understandable because it's not as visible. We don't see it. You don't see it on ESPN every night. You don't see Absolutely. it on, yeah. uh, you know, Sports Center or read it in the paper or anything like that. And so it's understandable. I just wish we could get more people out to see it. And I think with social media and some of those things is coming along, you know, to give you an example. I mean, I had Randy Bell this year, who was the co-player of the year in our conference. Uh, he played Division Two basketball and averaged 24 points a game as a freshman. You know, I had Kavon Tucker this year, who was first team all conference. He played at both Wofford and East Tennessee State and was a top 50 recruit in the state of Georgia as a high school kid. I had Elijah Staley last year, who was an All-American, who who played at Mississippi State, played football and basketball. And, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, he 
he was a football player and he lost he lost the quarterback battle to Dak Prescott. So, <laughs> you know, pe- people don't quite understand just because they haven't seen it as much what the talent level is. But it's very, very, very high. It's the and, real deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just I just urge any high school coaches, any junior college coaches who you know haven't seen it, who want to see it. You know, come out, come watch practice, come watch games. You know, I'll send you film, but I'd love to get you in the gym to just call me, email me. I'll give you tickets to games. But come see how high level the basketball is in NAI and Division Two and junior college because there's there's good coaches, good teams, good players everywhere. For sure. Let's get a little more into the coaching side um, and we'll, we'll start off the court and then move into X's and O's. But I'd like to. Speak on culture, and we hear this word culture all throughout college basketball. But I'd like to ask you, you know, what kind of culture do y'all try to develop at Dalton State? You know, it's funny because culture is such a buzzy word. It's the thing now. Everybody's talking about culture, and there's, you know, business books on culture and coaching books on culture and articles and all kinds of things. But for very, very good reason. I think culture is the most important thing that a leader does. I think setting culture is by far the most important thing. I mean, you can you can run the best plays and you can have the best players, but if they don't like each other enough to pass each other the ball, it doesn't quite matter. I think the word, and I probably use the word standard more than culture. I, I really try to set standards and kind of those things set the culture, but interesting. Um, we really try, I, I would say, I would say the, the way we started is we really just try to teach our guys how interdependent they are. You know, I think I think a thing with sports, particularly with athletes, is that we tend to think that because we're very type A and we're hardworking and we, you know, spend hours in the gym getting better or hours in the film room getting better, that we can do things ourselves. And that's just not the reality of life. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing happens through just one single person's effort or focus or attention or time. And so you know, we really try to teach our guys to be to be not just cognizant of the fact that, you know, their success is dependent on the guy next to them and the guy next to them's success is dependent on them, but how to kind of foster that communication. We always try to get guys talking. You know, I, I always say that guys are never quite aware until you show them of how much they can learn from the guy next to them and how much the guy next to them can learn from them. Yeah. You know, you know at, at this point, they're kids, they're 19, 20, 21, 22, but when they grow up, they're going to be coaches and CEOs and, you know, all different kinds of things throughout life. And they all come from different backgrounds. They all have different experiences and values and things that they've learned and things that they've seen, and they can all benefit from each other. And we really try to foster that environment to where guys are communicating, guys are conversing, guys mm-hmm. are teaching each other and learning from each other and asking for help when they need it you know maybe some guys are good at math and some guys aren't some guys have traveled and some guys haven't you know everybody has different things they're good at in different areas of weakness and, and the team becomes the best it can be when all of those strengths come together to eliminate those weaknesses and yeah. um, it's so funny this year we were watching film towards the end of the year and Guys are stealing each other's moves. You know, Kavon Tucker spins all the time, and and Sean <laughs> Cran- Sean Cranny drives, and he spins just like Kavon would spin. That's you know, great. Sh- Sean Cranny looks guys off when he passes, right? So he'll drive and he'll kind of see the help, and he'll look to the left and pass to the right. And now Randy Bell is trying to do the same thing. You know, and <laughs> yeah. guys guys are starting to emulate each other and learn from each other, and that was a really proud moment for me because you can see that the team was making itself better. 
the individuals on the team were helping other individuals get better, which made the team better. And that's that's the kind of culture you hope to foster. That is awesome. That was a great answer. And I was going to ask, you know, for a lot of winning teams, every every program's different, but maybe there are some similarities. And I think standards is a great word to kind of encompass that of, you know, standards that winning teams set. Is there anything y'all do, maybe whether it be, you know, how you discipline your players when they slip up or maybe study hall or just accountability in general that y'all kind of are intentional about? Well, I think the first thing that we try to do is we try to put the intentionality in the hands of the, of the players. The students. Right. Yeah. You know, I can sit there in the first team meeting and list off a hundred rules, right? Go to class, sit in the front, don't wear a hat, be on time. Yada, right. yada, yada, yada. You can list a thousand rules, right? You can have rules for the bus and rules for the locker room and rules for the dorm and rules for housing, rules for campus rules for practice rules for workouts you can have a million different rules and at a certain point you just you're just reading a rule book and that's all you're doing we have one rule on our team and that's do the right thing yeah and you know i i tell our guys you know and i hold them to this standard you know what the right thing is whether you're 18 19 20 21 or 22 you know what the right thing is okay you know skipping class is not the right thing yeah you know showing up late to a workout or a practice or weights is not the right thing. You know what the right thing is and what the right thing is not. And so we hold them to that standard. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, you have to do this. You have to do that. Because, again, it's just it's just a bunch of rules. And after a while, it just gets overwhelming and, and redundant. We try to empower the guys to, you know, take ownership of it. You know, yeah. you, you know what's right and what's wrong. Do what's right. I don't have to sit here and tell you what's right and wrong. You know. And if I do have to tell you what's right and wrong, you probably don't mm-hmm. need to be here. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and I, and one of the things I tell the guys all the time, it's your team. It's not my team. I'm the coach, but it's not my team. You know, the team is going to be whatever the players decide it's going to be. You know, I can tell you to run whatever play you want, but if you don't run it, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, I can tell you we're going to we're going to play whatever defense we want to play or we're going to guard this guy a certain way or we want to pass the ball this you know and, and hit the open guy and that's going to be our team thing but if you don't do it and you don't buy in it doesn't work so it's their team and with that we kind of put some ownership on them of okay well now the now the ball's in your court what are you yeah. going to do with it what are you going to make this team you know definitely it's yeah. not just it's not just coach said this or coach said that what are we going to do how are yeah. we going to do it and that's you know, fostering accountability from you know the top down for sure you know, how does that kind of translate into recruiting and the type of players that y'all look for? Is that something where, you know, when you get here, you're going to buy in or are y'all, you know, seeking out that kind of player? Well, it's it's a, it's a little bit of both. So I have a sign in my office um, that's kind of become my motto in coaching. And it, it's it was Isaiah Thomas, of the Detroit, the bad boy Detroit Pistons. And it was when he was the GM of the Knicks. And he said, you know, the secret of basketball is it's not about basketball. It's about people. Mm-hmm. And just like any organization, the organization is going to take the shape of the people that are in it. So I, I think what we really try to do is just make sure we bring the right people in our organization. And, you know, when we talk about the right people. We talk about people who have gotten over themselves. We talk about guys that want to be here. That was yeah. a big thing for us last summer was who wants to be a roadrunner. There were some guys that had to go NAIA or they, they had to be roadrunners. But 
you don't get the same kind of enthusiasm. You don't get the same kind of interest and, and accountability and drive. You know, we wanted guys that wanted to be here, that really, yeah. really wanted to be here, to where when you put on a practice uniform or a game uniform that says Dalton State, it means something to you. Yeah. You know, when you go out there in Mashburn Arena and you play in front of the fans, it means something to you. And that was really, really big for us because we've had situations, and I know everybody and every coaching at every level has, where you got guys where it just doesn't mean as much to them. You know, yeah, they, absolutely. Especially, especially at the non-division one levels, you get guys that think they're a little bit better than this. You right. Know? And uh, like we talked about, you know, it, that that's not the case. You're not because this level is very, very good. I mean, again, to have teams from this level go to Southern Miss, go to some of those schools and beat them on their own home floor. The talent level is a lot better than you think it is. And if you think you're better than this, I assure you, you'll find out very quickly you're not. I think one of the best things we did this year was recruiting a kid like Kavon Tucker. And, you know, I did a lot of homework on Kavon, like I do on all the players, but Kavon was so special for our program because he's a guy who's been to multiple successful division one programs. I mean, he was at Wofford playing for Mike Young. He was at East Tennessee state playing for Steve Forbes. He was the Georgia junior college player of the year at Gordon state and to come in and be a yes, sir, no, sir guy, just kind of set the standard. Right That's a, that makes a huge difference, you, you know, to be the guy who's one of the most decorated guys on the team in terms of where he's been and some of the things he's done and some of the individual awards he's won and be completely, completely team oriented is is just unbelievable. You know, Dawson Womack, same way. Dawson Womack played at Houston Baptist as a freshman and sophomore. And he came in. And I don't think we ran one play for him. I literally don't think we ran one play for him all year long, but. <laughs> you know, in the conference tournament, he had three double doubles, just completely selfless and team oriented. And so we just try to bring those kind of guys in, try to bring in guys that care about something bigger than themselves, that have gotten over themselves that aren't worried about what can I get, you know, and guys that are excited just to be playing, just to be there, just to be able to go take the court, we play so many games. We played 33 games this year and obviously would have played more yeah. had the national tournament not gotten canceled, but play those games and, Heck, there's some nights when it's a Tuesday night on the road and you don't feel good and you got a ton of homework and your parents are annoying you and your roommates are annoying you and you don't really <laughs> want to be there. But who loves basketball enough to go out and play and play hard and to not take it for granted? You know, once it's over, of course, you're going to look back and go, oh, man, I wish I had or, oh, man, I enjoyed that so much. Um, but who who loves it enough in the moment to do it? You know, and then and then on top of that, who loves their teammates enough to sacrifice for their teammates and say, hey. Maybe maybe I can score on my guy, or maybe I can score on this player. Maybe I do want to shoot this shot, but that's the best shot for us, or that's what we need, or you know I need to take a charge on this player. I need to sit down and play defense, or I need to make a great pass, or I need to set a great screen. You know, th- those are the kind of people that win, people that understand that it's not it's not just about them. It's about the group. It's about the organization. It's about the team, whatever it is, and it's the same kind of things that translate into life. You know, when you get a job, nobody's going to pay you to make money for yourself. They're going to pay you to make money for their company. And if you walk into a company and you're just concerned about what I can get out of it, you're going to find out that you're not going to be there very long because they're going to bring in somebody else who's more interested in making the company profitable. Mm, same thing mm-hmm. with the same thing with the team. And so we tried really hard to bring in guys who were over themselves and wanted wanted to be part of a successful team. And luckily we were this year. 
Right. One more question when it comes to recruiting, kind of on the X's and O's side of guys you're trying to bring in. And I, I like to ask this question to kind of everybody that we have on is um, how do you feel towards, you know, recruiting players for the system you have in place versus just getting the best guy and kind of building the system around them or maybe somewhere in the middle? Yeah, certainly somewhere in the middle. I think I think that there's there's a lot of credibility on both sides of that argument. You want the best players you can get. Everybody, everybody wants the best players they can get. Coaching right. is vastly, vastly overrated because I can assure you nobody that didn't have any players ever won anything. Right. Uh, yep. But at the same time, you know, you can't have five players on the floor that all do the same thing. You know, you can't have five drivers on the floor or five shooters on the floor. It, it just it doesn't work because you got five guys trying to get to four feet within the basket. Well, there's not a lot of space there and it, it just doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. the same thing. If you got five guys sitting around the three point line who can't put it on the floor and create a shot for somebody, you're not going to get many shots. And so we have kind of in our minds kind of a rough blueprint of how we like to play. I think this year we were very successful in kind of translating what we thought in the summer and fall into what actually happened in in the winter in our games. But at the same time, it's our job as coaches to take our talent, you know, take what our guys are good at, take what our guys can do and kind of adapt our schemes to that one thing. I firmly believe is that basketball is very, very frequently overcoached. And I think one thing I did as a first year coach was try to overcoach it a little bit. I tried to show everybody how smart I was and how many plays I can run, how many different things I could run. Mm-hmm. And what I found out as I went back and watched film towards the end of the year and over the summer was our guys are running 50, 60 plays and they, they know them all. But when something happens on the court that kind of disrupts them, or disrupts that or makes them read or react. They weren't quite as good at just playing basketball because I didn't teach it as well. Um, yeah. So this year I kind of tried to teach more principles. You know, somebody ices a side pick and roll, what can you do? Somebody jams a side pick and roll, goes under, how can you counter that? If somebody hedges you and pushes you to half court, how can you counter that? Somebody tries to zone you, somebody pressures the wings. How, and, and just kind of teaching guys how to play in every scenario. And I think that's the thing that can kind of translate to all different kinds of players as opposed to, like you said, a system where you're, you're very, very rigid and you're very you know particular in the kind of guys you bring in. We, we certainly right. have guidelines. We certainly have different types of players we're looking for, right? We certainly have a blueprint for what, what we're looking for when we recruit. But I think we also have to be flexible enough to where when an outstanding player comes along that doesn't quite fit that blueprint. Yeah, <laughs> that, that you can adapt that mold to uh, definitely to incorporate great talent. And that's interesting. One thing you said, we, we had Jordan Sperber on the podcast um, a, a month or so ago. And one thing that he said in a podcast of his when he was talking to John Shire at Duke was John Shire said one of the best things Coach K was good at is teaching his guys how to read within plays or within the game, how to make reads and understand what to do in particular situations rather than just, you know, go here and do this. And I thought that was really interesting kind of tying into what you said. Yeah, it's, I think that's what coaching is. In my opinion, coaching is not just sitting there and drawing up a bunch of plays and saying, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Coaching is empowering and enabling your players to make reads to make plays, to make use of their talent in the best way possible and to combine their talents for the for the betterment of the team. Yeah. You know, I'll give you an example. Last year played Faulkner in the maybe third or fourth to last game of the year. Well Faulkner ices all side ball screens, so 
you know, in the week heading up to Faulkner, we're working and working and working on how to how to attack, you know, ice picking rolls, short rolls, throwbacks, all the different kinds of things. And we got it down and we actually won the game, you know, late in the game. We had a possession where we had a side pick and roll and they iced it and we hit the short roll and then we hit the other big and laid it. And it was a big possession for it. And I was really, really proud that, hey, we had kind of worked on it all week and we it only happened a time or two, but we were able to get it done. Yeah. Well, then we go to the conference tournament not two weeks later and we play Loyola who never ices anything. Well, we run a set and Loyola ices it and we just bogged down. You know what I mean? Like we were completely, right. completely, completely out of our element because yep. we didn't expect it. And the reaction just wasn't there, you know, and um, because it wasn't instinctual. And, and, you know, in my mind, I didn't do a good enough job of teaching those instincts to where, hey, when you see ice, this is what you do. Right. Here, yeah. You know, and it just it just flows. So this year we tried to do a better job of that. And I think we did. We were able to take advantage of some of those things. And obviously some of those things are game plan stuff and things you tweak heading into a game or a weekend or a series or whatever. But, you know, we, we shot it really well this year and we didn't have a ton of zone, but we taught some zone principles throughout the year. And we taught some kind of multi-purpose zone offenses mm-hmm. um, four or five times throughout the year. Late in the game, somebody would have a lead on us and they would try to go zone to kind of flip the kind of take us out of our element, maybe steal a possession or two. And, and we always reacted to it very, very well. You know, Beth right. did it to us at our place. They were up seven. They went zone two possessions in a row. We hit back to back threes. Loyola did it in the championship game. They went zone with like seven minutes to go maybe and try to throw us off the possession. And they had done it the night before to Faulkner and, and it helped them beat Faulkner. And we ended up, we, you know, we got right into our set or right into our zone offense and we got a layup on it, you know, an uncontested layup. Actually, it was an end one. So I, I thought this year we did a lot better job of just teaching principles and going back to what I said earlier, you know, letting it be the player's team. You know, yeah, their yeah. ability to play within those principles is what's going to make you good or, or bad or anywhere in between, you yeah. know. And, and that's thought, that's awesome. That's a good point back to, you know, being a good coach is you got a certain amount of time to teach all this and then your season's going and amid game planning and all of this, finding that balance and teaching those principles and game planning and using your time and allocating it to your players. So that's, that's interesting. And also that definitely, I think it goes back to what you were saying and not necessarily getting players that fit directly into your system, but if you can get those talented guys that are willing to buy in and, you know, play in the system and be team guys, then it it doesn't matter what system you're running, you're going to be successful. And, and take ownership of it. I think, Last and actually have it right here on my desk. You know, I watched I watched every game last year over the summer and kind of broke down and analyzed how we did, what we were good at, and what we could have gotten better at, what we need to improve at next year. Then one one day I just took a note card and I just kind of wrote down what is my job, what am I here to do, like what's what am I supposed to be able to do. And the biggest thing I kept coming back to, we talked about culture, right? Love and respect, responsibility, honesty, tough and resilient, unselfish, whole nine yards. But then the second point that I wrote down was prepare them to perform and empower them. You know what I mean? To yeah. where it's not, oh, coach, they're in a zone. What do we do? No, no, no. They're in a zone. You know what to do. Go do it. And so, you know, when they saw a zone, they were prepared for it. They were empowered to do what they needed to do. You know what I mean? And they were able to make those adjustments. And one of the words I wrote down was malleable. Just being able to adjust to what whatever they give you. You know what I mean? If they're going to ice you. You know how to attack it. If they're going to hard hedge you, you know how to attack it. If they're going to trap you or jam you, you know how to attack it. If they're going to zone you, you know how to attack it. If they're going to press you, you know how to attack it. 
And so I thought we did a better job this year than we did last year of just teaching our guys the principles and then, and then letting them make the plays. And, and we had a lot of guys that could make plays here, and they did a great job of making plays. Yeah. And, I mean, my next question kind of ties in. Really, you've answered it already, but maybe you might have a little more to add. And that's kind of how do you all sustain success year to year? And what makes that difference, whether that be day-to-day habits and wanting to be a roadrunner, but how do you kind of foster that success and consistency? Well, the first thing is just continuing to bring good people through your program. You know, you obviously the nature of our business is, you know, every four years, players move on. And so you're consistently bringing in new players and consistently losing players. And I think we did it last year. I had 10 new guys. We didn't have a ton of returners. So not only was I a brand new coach, I had 10 new players. And then I had four returners that were trying to figure me out because they only knew me as an assistant. Yeah. And so we, you know, we tried to establish culture and it took a while. It was rocky there. I mean, we lost some games we shouldn't have lost. We won some games, you know, that were really good wins for us. But it was just up and down, up and down, up and down all year. And it was just kind of a kind of a battle to kind of sustain. And then coming back this year, I had several returners that were that were just huge for us and just establishing our culture. You know what I mean? Establishing our expectations and our standards. And so guys like Sean Cranny, guys like Randy Bell, Aaron Barras, Igor Stokic, who came on this year and had a phenomenal year. I mean, had 22 and 16 against Shawnee State. You know, I think averaged nine rebounds in the conference tournament as a sophomore. But those guys knew what the expectations were, you know what I mean? And so they did a good job of transferring those to the new guys. And then obviously losing four four seniors that are starters that are really good. I hope that we've established our culture and our expectations and our standards so well. And the guys that are returners, they'll be able to teach the new guys next year as well. And, and, And I think the biggest thing for us is just that standard of work ethic, that standard of just showing up every day and working. As we had success, you know, we try to consistently remind our guys that, hey, just because you won yesterday doesn't mean you're going to win tomorrow. Yeah. You, have to, you have to work for tomorrow's win just like you had to work for yesterday's win. And that's tough. You know, we started off 7-0. and And so it's tough as you start rolling, you win seven in a row. It's, it's tough to consistently make sure that you remind guys and convince guys. And it's not just reminding them because everybody says it, right? Every coach says, oh, well. You got to work hard. You got to work hard. You got to work hard. Don't get a big head. Don't get selfish. Don't get, you know, conceited. Yeah. Don't expect to win. But it's not just saying it. It's convincing the guys that it's the truth. And it's, you know, the guys being level-headed enough to actually listen and believe it, um, which, I, you know, is obviously a, a place where groups can go wrong when they have success is, is they know it and they hear it, but they don't believe it and they don't listen to it. And our guys did a great job of that. Right. You know, That's but, what separates the, the great from the good. Yeah, it's not it's not rocket science. Coaching is not rocket science and playing is not rocket science and having success is not rocket science. It's not doing some some phenomenal, you know, out of this world thing, this big secret that nobody knows about. It's, you know, how well can you do the simple things? Yeah. Can you can you come to practice and get better every day? Can you make the right play every time? Can you go rebound on every shot? Can you get a hand up on every shot and get a contest? You know, it's it's those small things and when you get to seven and zero, oh, you start to think, eh, maybe I don't have to do it. Then you quickly yeah. get reminded that that's not the case, you know. And then I, I mean, we we went seven and zero, oh, lost one, and then won seventeen in a row after that. Yeah. And so you just have to consistently hammer home, man. Hey, we're twenty one and one, 
But what we did to win those first 21 is not going to win us 22. Mm. It's not going to mm-hmm. do it. You have to earn 22 just like you had to earn one through 21. Yeah. And, and well, uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, y'all, y'all won a lot of games and you didn't really have to deal with many losses. But, you know, how do you deal with that adversity and battle losing and say, OK, we're not going to let this skid. We're going to keep it going or deal with locker room problems that might come up. How do you. It's an it's an interesting thing because we lost three games by a total of six points. Man. All of our three losses came at a total of six points. We lost a game by one, a game by two, and a game by three. In the first two losses, we missed, which was a total of three points. It was a one-point loss and a two-point loss. <laughs> and we missed a total, I think, of 24 foul shots, if I'm Sheesh. remembering correctly. You yeah. know, and, and so you sit back and you go, okay, what, you know, what, what went well, what didn't? You know, obviously... We ran good enough stuff to get fouled enough to get to the line. We executed well enough to get to the line. We missed some layups. We missed some jump shots. We gave up some shots that we shouldn't have. We gave up some possessions here and there. But something is something as small as shooting foul shots. You know, hey, hey, man, when we give you four minutes in practice to shoot, do it and get better at it and take it seriously because it's, it's, it's cost us games. We always try to go back to the process. We always go, try to go back to the small and simple things. Coach Ingo used to say all the time, Small and simple things, great things come to pass. And, you know, if you focus on winning a national championship or winning a conference championship or winning this, that, and the other, you always seem to get sidetracked by things you can't control. Yeah. Whether it's a team a, a team that you need to lose hits a buzzer beater or yada, yada, on and on and on and on. Well, we always, okay, let's make our foul shots. You know, we shot like 78% of the team throughout the year. And in the conference tournament, and that was huge for us. That's a big reason we won the conference tournament. But it's something as simple as a foul shot. Kept asking after the games, how do you guys shoot foul shots? So, well, how do you guys we work on it? And we pay attention to it. And we realize that it's not a small thing. You know, it's a thing that's cost us games, but it's also won us a ton of games. And so whether we win or lose, no matter what happens, we always try to come back and focus on, you know, the process, doing it right, making sure we do the right things, make sure we take care of all the little things that we can control. I can't control an official's call. I can't control what somebody in the crowd says. I can't control if, you know, the kid on the other team that shoots 18% hits four threes. I can't control that. But what I can control is making my foul shots, taking care of the ball, getting a contest on the guy, even though he shoots 18%, rebounding the misses, you know, those are the things I can't control. And so we always try to come back to that. Always try to come back to that. And, you know, as a result, we were able to have success throughout the year just because we kept things, we, we kept our mindset focused on the things that we can control. Yeah. Before I let you go, let's dive into X's and O's a little bit. What is the staple of the Dalton State Roadrunners? When, when teams look at y'all and when fans and coaches see y'all play, what, what's the identity or offensively or maybe defensively? Is there a staple that y'all have? Yeah, you could say I, I, the first thing is we guard. We guard very well. We led our league in field goal percentage defensively um, this year, and that was a source of pride for us. It was a thing that we really focused on, especially going into the conference tournament, was just guard, guarding, guarding, guarding. You know, we got beat, um, we got beat in the second to last game of the year at Faulkner. Uh, Faulkner ended up winning the regular season. We ended up winning the tournament. And we split throughout the season. They beat us by three at their place. We beat them by five at ours. 
Um, and I just thought we gave away possession. Thought we gave away possessions in transition. Thought we gave away, you know, uncontested threes because we weren't as focused. We didn't pressure the ball like we needed to. And so first thing is that we're going to guard. Really, really going to guard. We're going to sit down. We're going to test shots. We're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to rebound your misses. And I think I think the other thing, more so than the X's and O's thing, especially offensively, is is just versatility. We always tell guys, hey. You know, we, we have a couple of guys that can really shoot it. And if they want to top lock those guys and run them off the line and not help, then we'll, we will drive you and get to the rim, score in the paint. If you want to help off those guys, we'd be glad to hit open threes. You want to make us play in a half court game, we'll, we'll execute in the half court. You want to let us run a little bit and kind of a, a faster paced game, we can do that too. And so, you know, again, kind of through teaching principles and teaching guys how to play and just really working on being the best that we can be, we, we try to be malleable enough to win different style fights. You know, I'm, I'm a big boxing guy, and, and the thing in boxing is the styles win fights. You know, people always say that, you know, this type of fighter can always beat that type of fighter, that type of fighter beats this type of fighter, and we, we try to be as versatile as we can and just, just to be able to be prepared for, for whatever comes, you know. But the thing is we're going to play unselfishly. We're going to move the ball. We're going to play really hard. We're going to guard. You know, whatever style of game it becomes, that's fine because we can handle that because we've prepared for it because we're right. ready. We're ready for it. We know how to react. We've been empowered enough to do it, and you know we can we can execute our game plan as long as long as we do the small things. You know, as long as we make foul shots, as long as we play hard, as long as we make our layups, as long as we hit the open man and make the right pass, play unselfishly, play together, play hard. You know, I think I think we won a ton of games this year just because we loved each other more than the other guys. You know, yes. just because just because when things got tough, they started complaining and we pulled together. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were we were down. I think we were down seven at Bethel with a minute to go, a minute and a half to go. Came back, tied it with four seconds left, and went in overtime. You know, um, we had several several games this year where you know easily could have gotten beat, but our guys just wouldn't do it. You know, I mean, that's just yeah, that's just the reality. Our guys just wouldn't lose. We trailed in the conference championship game. I think we finally tied it up with like seven minutes, but we trailed the entire, you know, 33 minutes before that. Um, but we just kept coming and coming and coming. It wasn't so much an X's and O's thing as much as it was a heart thing and a, a togetherness thing. And I think I think that enabled us to go as far as we did and have the success we were able to have. Yeah, I'll ask one more question on you know, scouting and game plan from a coach's perspective. Um, is there anything in particular y'all do as a team or even as a coaching staff? Are y'all heavy film watchers or are y'all heavy on taking a couple days to do scout or is there anything y'all do specifically? You know, I, I think we're consistent. I, I would say consistent is probably a better word than, than heavy. Um, yeah. We watch film on every opponent. You know, it might be five minutes, six minutes, might be 10 minutes. It might be one day. It might be two days, just depending on, you know, availability, time, uh, how the group is. You know, sometimes the environment around the group is that, hey, we don't need to sit down and watch a bunch of ton, a ton of film today, man. Let's go work. You know, some days, some days you can watch a little bit more film and it just, you know, kind of ebbs and flows. But, you know, I think the thing with us is just just consistency. You're going to know your opponent. You're going to know what they do. You're going to know who's a shooter, who's not a shooter. You're going to know, you know, who get really gets out and pushes it in transition. You're going to know the top three or four or five things they run. You're going to know how they're going to attack uh, in line out of bounds, sideline out of bounds. 
you're going to know how they're going to play pick and roll. You're going to know, you know, how they're going to, whether they're going to pressure the wings or not. You're going to know that stuff. Now it's just a matter of putting it into practice. You know, those are the things we go over on every team. We talk about it in our, you know, we show it to them on film. We talk about it when we talk about personnel. We talk about it in shoot around. We talk about it in our pregame routine. Um, but at the same time, we, we really try to focus on just being the best us we can be. You know, yeah. I, I found out very, very early in coaching that you can know every call and you can know every set, but you still got to guard it. I can stand up and there's guys, you know, at every level that do it, that they can stand up and, OK, uh, you know, so and so is running whatever their set is and they can talk you through the whole set. Problem is, you got to be able to guard the guys running, it, you know, and, and if you can't do that, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to know all the sets. Right. And so we really try to focus on us instead of taking the time to learn everybody's sets and, you know, go over seven or eight or nine different sets and, and shoot around. Heck, I'm going to give you the three or four best things that they do. I'm going to give you the personnel and what they like to do. So, you know, will the guy shoot behind a pick and roll? Will he not? Uh, will he try to push it in transition? You know, what, will he go left? Will he go right? Is he dominant to either hand? We'll give you that stuff, but then we're going to work on us. You know, we're going to work yeah. on beating in the stance. We're going to work on being in the gaps. We're going to work on getting the ball stopped. We're going to work on running shooters off the line. We're going to work on rebounding. We're going to work on contesting shots. We're going to work on guard with multiple effort. You know, that's the stuff that wins because, heck, you can know they're going to run diagonal down or cross screen down screen or, you know, shuffle cut stagger. You can, you know, whatever. You can know it, but if, if you don't know how to guard it and you can't guard it, it doesn't do you a lot of good. Absolutely. And, and, and so the biggest thing for us is, again, just, and this is kind of what we talked about earlier, knowing us, knowing what we do. So that when it breaks down, when they, I always saw this throughout my coaching career is, heck, you go over five or six sets, sure enough, they're going to pull out one that you've never seen, especially if it's a big game. Sure enough, they're going to put one in that you've never seen. Well, if you can only guard the ones you've seen and they start pulling out stuff you haven't seen, you're in trouble. Or mm -hmm. you get one of those teams that runs 30, 40 sets. I can't give you all those, but I can teach you how to guard diagonal down no matter what the setup is. I can teach you how to guard cross screen down screen. I can teach you how to guard horns. I can teach you how to guard all the different variations of sets. And just know that if we play hard, we focus, we know who we're guarding, we play with multiple efforts, that we'll be able to guard it well enough. Right. And that goes back into, you know, giving the responsibility to the players of knowing what to do instead of, yeah. you know, robotic yeah. play. Right. Right. And, and, and a lot of it just gets covered up by, by making multiple efforts. You know, we tell our guys all the time, hey, you know, I, I can find some guy, some kid in the rec center who can, you know, jump in front of a driver and then not get back out to the shooter. The reason, yeah. the reason you guys are special is because you can do both. So I expect you to do both. Not just, oh, coach, I stopped the ball. You know, that's why you got an open shot. Well, that's, that's not good enough. You know, make multiple efforts. Right. You know, yeah. Get the ball stopped and run the guy off the line. Get back in transition. Contest the shot and go get the rebound. Those are the kind of things that win. And so just focusing on, on, on doing that at the highest level that, that we can, at the standard that we expect, that's the stuff that we really focus on, in addition to a little bit of scouting here and there. Yeah. And you talk about process. One more question when it comes to that is, you know, player development. You had 10 new guys and you're working with a whole new team. 
Um, how important is player development, especially, you know, at the NAI level, you're not, a, you're not a power five one and done where you got guys maybe leaving after their freshman year. And I, I'm a skills trainer myself and I, I've definitely seen the importance of player development. Can you kind of speak on how important that's been for your program and how y'all approach that and getting guys better year to year? Sure. Well, you can't win without players and players make plays and the better the players are, the better your team's going to be able to be. And I always used to get a kick when I was a high school coach, we would come in the gym and the girls team would be practicing before us. And, you know, practice was at six o'clock. I'd get there at five thirty, and for 25 minutes, they're running over plays. I mean, they've got, you know, this play and the counter and then the counter to the counter and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there like coach, the girl can't dribble or shoot. <laughs> right. And instead of teaching the girl how to dribble better or shoot better, you're teaching her plays, you know, it, it, it just, it, it, you can run it with perfect execution, but guess what? The girl can't make the shot, even if it's wide open. Yeah. And so, you know, I've kind of translated that into my philosophy. We're heavy, 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 heavy on skill development, you know, towards the end of the year, as we got, you know, into really February, late January, February, you know, we started doing Mondays. We did only skill development. That's all we did. Three really? 40 minute groups of skill development, because, you know, at the at the end of the day, the, the better the players are, the better your team will be. Yeah. Well, and and, you know, the thing is, as as we got towards the end and I told I told our guys this as we went out to the championship game, I, I, I said, look, I, it's not going to be some some magic trick that you pull out of a hat that's going to win you this game. It's going to be getting out there and closing out to a guy. And not just can you do it, but how well can you do it? And how many times can you do it that well? Can you do it well one time in the first half? Can you do it well twice? Can you do it three times? Or can you do it with 30 seconds left in the game when everybody's tired? Can you get out there and close out? Can you make yeah. a layup? Can you make a good pass? I'll give you an example. You know, we, we had a kid when he got here last year, and <laughs> our guys do Mikans and reverse Mikans every single day. And really? Hmm. Every single day. Our guys shoot left and right-handed layups every single day. And I had a kid who was new last year, and he came in, and he's doing Mike, and he can't make a – he can't do a reverse Mike and save his life. I mean, he's he's a junior. He's played at a high level. He's had a ton of great games. He's been an all-conference performer for me two years in a row. Yep. He couldn't make a, he couldn't make a reverse Mike. I mean, he's throwing that thing <laughs> on the underside of the rim. And he's yeah. mad as all get out. He's buckling <laughs> under his breath. He thinks this is stupid. Why are we doing this? He's not opposed. Yada, 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 yada. I mean, just, just mad as can be. But then we get into games, and now all of a sudden he's making reverse laps. Now he's driving baseline. <laughs> he's coming out with one hand, putting the ball off the glass, laying it in like it's nothing. I mean, it all comes back to just, just making a layup. You know, can, and we did Mike every single day, and that helped. I was going to say, you're talking about heavy and you're talking about consistent and, you know, doing that every single day makes a difference in the long term for yeah. sure. Go ahead, coach. I mean, I mean, the game, the game comes down to nothing more than can you dribble pass and shoot in terms of an individual player. Can you dribble pass? And shoot? You can make whatever kind of dribble move you want. If you can't make the shot, it doesn't do any good. Yeah. You can ha you can drive and draw help all you want, but if you can't get the ball to the open guy, it doesn't do any good. Mm -hmm. You can shoot it as well as you want, but if somebody makes you put it on the floor, if you can't do it, you're not any good. 
it's the fundamental things, the very fundamental things that help you get better. Now, yeah, are there, you know, can you add different dribble moves to your arsenal? Yes. Can you add different kinds of shots to your arsenal? Yes. Can you add different kinds of passes to your arsenal? Yes. But if you can't do those three fundamental things, you can't play this game. So the majority of our practice every day is based on that. You know, we pass every day with our left and right hand. We work every day on, on ball handling and dribble moves. We work every day on Mikings in reverse. Mikings. We shoot every day. We do left and right hand layups every single day. And if we start off and we can't get that stuff right, we don't move on to the team stuff. Because yeah. there's not a lot I can do for you if you can't make a chest pass or dribble the ball with your right or left hand or make a layup with your right or left hand. Right. And so skill development for us is huge. You know, at the NAI level, like, we're not allowed to do anything with our guys up until the 24 weeks before our conference championship and after our season until the guys go home. We can't do anything with the basketball. We're not allowed to touch a basketball. Yeah. So so it's very, very important that in the 24 weeks that we do have, we get better. Because as each individual player gets better, the team gets better. And it's it's a thing where you're not going to see the fruits of it you know, if you do it for 10 minutes today, you're not going to see the fruits of it tomorrow. But if you do it for 10 minutes every day for 94 practices like we did, you'll see the fruits of it and you'll be a better team. For sure. But, you know, by running a million plays and trying to be tricky and trying to be, you know, trying to show smoke and mirrors and pull a rabbit out of a hat, it, it, it doesn't do a lot of good because when it comes down to the simple fact of can you make this shot, you're open. Can you make this shot? Yes or no. If you can't make it, you're no good. You know, yeah. I had a, I had a buddy who coached who coached an NAI school in uh, Oklahoma. It was it was actually a women's team, and one of his girls was I think Kevin Durant's niece or whatever. So Kevin Durant comes to the game, and everybody's going crazy, and he gets five minutes with me. Just asks him, "What's the thing that makes you a pro? You know, how do you get to the NBA? What makes you?" And Kevin Durant said, "When you get an open shot in a game, you hit it sixty percent of the time. Not are you this and that." Are you this tall? Can you make this step back move? Can you shoot a one foot fadeaway dirk? If you yeah. get an open jump shot in the game, you have to hit it 60% of the time. Yeah. I'm, and I, 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 something that simple. That yeah. simple. But that's that's the difference. Is it's not that they're, you know, it's not that NBA guys or pros or high level college guys or whatever are all these crazy different things or they're all these unattainable things. I said they make open jump shots 60 percent yeah, absolutely and that's interesting you say that that i mean that's universal across the board i i interned with drew hanlon and helped out with his workouts and you know one thing that he said was people would come and watch these pro workouts and they're confused because they think it's some magical workout i mean they're spending 80 percent of the time just shooting and and you got yeah. nba players shooting an hour corner of threes but it's not some magic formula it's putting in the work consistently and they, that's from the top down, every level for sure. Yeah, well, and it's it's another instance of basketball, you know, emulating life and and replicating life skills. You know, it's not a hard thing. It's a very very simple thing, but it's not easy to do it over and over and over and over again. Right. You know, it's a jump shot is a simple thing. We all, I always tell my guys, it's not it's not do it until you can do it. It's do it until you can't do it wrong. Do it mm-hmm. until you can throw that pass a hundred times in a row. Do it until you can make that shot over and over and over again. 
how many times can you do those simple things and can you do them over and over and over? How many times can you repeat those things? How many possessions can you be in a stance? How many possessions can you pressure the ball? How many possessions can you contest a shot? How many possessions can you make a pass? Just like in life, it's you, you'll get a long way in life. You can just get up and go to work every day because most people can't do that. Right. Yeah. Most absolutely. people can't get up and go to work and be on time every day. And then if you get up early and you get to work early every day or you stay late every day, now you're leaps and bounds ahead. Yeah. Those little details that compile it's, and they're exponential. Yeah. And it's and it's not it's not hard to be at work 30 minutes early one day. It's not. It's a very, very simple thing. It's not something that you have to practice or work at yeah. or something that somebody has to teach you, but you have to do it. And then to get ahead, you have to continue to do it. You mm-hmm. can't do it one day and go, oh, I did it. I'm done. Just like you can't shoot on a gun for 20 minutes and go, OK, I'm a good shooter now. You're a good shooter because you shoot on the gun every day, every day. Yep. And you make thousands of shots. You know, we made. Our guys on their own this summer made a hundred thousand shots, and that was our goal. Wow! Together, wow! Together, gotcha. But they would shoot, and they would text them back and say, "Hey, this is what we shot." I didn't make awesome. them do it. I didn't chase them down. None of them were on campus, but they made a hundred thousand shots. I mean, just something simple like that is one of the things that allows you to be successful when it comes time. You know, when you're in the game, because heck, you know, if an individual, say, one individual guy made ten thousand. Yeah, I made 10,000 shots over summer. I know if I get an open jump shot, I can do it because I've done it 10,000 times. Yeah. You know, and it's not it's not some you don't have to have pro coach or you don't have to have some secret or you don't No, You just do it over and over and over and over again. until you can't get it wrong. And, you know, that's kind of been the thing with our program. That's kind of been the common theme in our program is just do it over and over and over again just do the simple things better than other people instead of trying to do things trying to do all these crazy things and trying to be tricky and trying to outsmart the system there's no outsmarting system you go to work you're going to get paid you know it's it's really that simple if you go to work you're going to get paid if you don't go to work you're not getting paid yep and we just try to go to work every day and try to get better and better and better every single day that's awesome. And I mean, I've personally learned a lot this whole podcast and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom. And I think it all has that same theme of consistency and, you know, working hard every day and it's the little details and getting it done the first time. And off that note, my final question for you um, that I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is what's one piece of advice that you'd give, whether that's a coach running a program and trying to get some wins or a coach trying to climb up the ladder or even a trainer, ops guy, player in the game of basketball, what's what's one piece of advice you would give? I think the one thing I would say across the board, no matter who it is, is to make somebody else or something else better than you found it. So if you're a high school coach and you're trying to build a program, just make your players better, make your program better, try to make it run smoother put more time into it. If you're an ops guy, make life better on your assistant coaches. Make your head coach's job easier. Make sure, you know, whatever whatever you do, make somebody else's job easier because that's what people are going to remember. That's right. that's how you're going to move up in the world. You know what I mean? I mean, heck, if you're a coach, if you're if you're a head coach, simplify things for your players. Take a lot of the thinking out of it. Be organized on your end. Spend more time being organized on your end so they don't have to figure out on their end what's going on. They know exactly what they have to do. If you're an assistant, make your head coach's life easy. 
you know, make sure he knows what meetings he's got, when he's got them, who he's talking to, what he needs to know, make sure the players are doing what they're supposed to do, make sure the film is where it's supposed to be, make sure the budget's where it's supposed to be. Just make it better than you found it. And I, yeah. and I think and I think if you go through life, no matter what your profession is, and you make the people's lives around you better and you leave things better than you found it, people will associate you with that growth and you will find that they will think positively of you because of that. Um, if you come in and you're interested in yourself or you're worried about what you can get or you're worried about, you know, the next step or the next job, which is a big thing we see in coaching. I know you, I know you've seen, and I see it all the time, guys that get a job and they're immediately like, okay, how do I get the next job? Yep. Well, you get the next job by leaving this job better than you found it. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? If you're, you can network all you want, but if your job is not being done well, nobody's hiring you, man. It doesn't matter how much they like you or how many notes you write them or how nice you are. Or how many times you call them or how many congratulations texts you send them. Because what they're going to do is they're going to call your boss and your boss is going to go, yeah, he does a terrible job. And you're not getting hired, man. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just not the case. And so, you know, the same thing I tell my players, the same thing I'm telling you now, the same thing I tell other young coaches is, you know, to just pour into a cause greater than yourself. To give to somebody else, to make somebody else's life easier, to make your program better, to make your school better, to make your community better, to make your family better, to make your players better, to make your teammates better. Whatever it is, just pour into something, just give to something bigger than yourself. And you'll be amazed at how the world returns it in spades. But, you know, if you and I've just found throughout my career that the guys that worry about themselves, the guys that worry about what do I get, the guy. They, they don't make it very far because when it comes time for them to need help, when it comes time for somebody to give them a recommendation, when it comes time for karma or whatever to come back, it's going to come back based on how you made other people feel. And if you make other people feel that you're only about yourself, that you only care about yourself, that the world revolves around you, you're in big trouble. You know, one of, yeah. one of my favorite quotes that I always read to my guys is nobody gets cheated more than the selfish man. Mm. And just, to just continue to remind them the more you think about yourself, the more you're going to think about what you don't have, what you don't get, your disadvantages, what somebody else has while you're getting shortchanged. The more you think about other people, the more you help other people, the more you give to other people, the more you contribute to other people, the more you're going to find that good things just naturally come your way because you're making other people's lives better. You're impacting other people's lives and they're going to impact yours in the same way. Yeah. And that's like you said, that's an everyday thing. That's an everyday process. Absolutely. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Coach. We really appreciate it. And I'm really excited for this all to come together with the, the NAIA Coaches Roundtable. And I mean, you're the first guest. You're the you're the start of it all. And what you've given to us is great. And I know a lot of coaches and players alike and just basketball people alike that listen to this are going to learn a whole lot and take a lot from it. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for the opportunity to share.